We're now joined, Jimmy, by a very special guest. Yes, we are. Uh, Chris Doring, one of the all-time great receivers at Florida, uh, the SEC touchdown reception leader for many, many years, now with the SEC Network. Chris, how you doing? I'm doing well, Jimmy. It's good to be here with you again. Good to be and, and so good that we're having this meeting. It's nice yes. to see people face-to-face. It is. You and I have been on, uh, I've been on your show a couple times remotely, but nothing beats being here in person and, and having the energy that, that uh, is here at the Winfrey Hotel, man. It's a lot of fun. Absolutely. Uh, you played at Florida. Uh, Dan Mullen, I think, has done a, an outstanding job. He's losing three terrific offensive players, quarterback, yeah. tight end Kyle Pitts, receiver uh, Tony. Can Florida rebound from that, do you, you think? You know, it called me naive, but I, I really don't I, – I think the, the course of the season is going to play out more depending on the defensive side than it is the offense. I, I, it's just because I, I hold Coach Mullen in high regard when it comes to uh, picking a quarterback, developing that quarterback – scheming an offense around that quarterback's skill set. So I, I think they'll find some, some different ways to utilize Emory Jones, or if it's Anthony Richardson, uh, they'll, they'll be a little bit more quarterback run involved. But I, I do think you had a unique player in Kyle Pitts, but there's some very talented uh, tight ends in Kamori Gamble and, and, uh, and Keon Zipperer. you got receivers that have been on the roster, Jacob, uh, Jacob Copeland, uh, Xavier Henderson, Trent Whittemore. So there's a lot of experience that kind of steps in. Even though you lose a lot of production, there's guys that have been in the system for a few years. Nick Saban said that because of COVID, the lack of spring ball, the lack of having your units going against each other, it had a greater impact on defense and tackling. It's surprising, though, isn't it? I, I thought last year it would be the offense that would have had the issues, but it was yeah. quite, quite the, the different case for the defense. And it makes sense. You know, you can't tackle the same way. You're not able to get the same looks as you you can go, you know, uh, offense against the air uh, and develop timing and chemistry that way. But it doesn't work that way for defense. So it, it was. I think that was an issue with, with Florida to some yeah. degree. But I go back to I don't think Florida has recruited – the same type of defensive line talent that they used to have. Florida was known for being a defensive line, uh, a university that would put defensive linemen in the in the first round mm-hmm. routinely, and they just they haven't had those guys. Uh, they did get Zachary Carter back as for uh, his fifth year on campus. Got a couple transfers, one from Penn State, one from Auburn, that uh, have had some big-time playing experience. So Florida's got to find a way to get pressure on the opposing quarterback without having to blitz, using their front four, getting penetration against the run, something they didn't have consistently last year. So having said that, do you think Florida has the defensive personnel to not necessarily be elite, but to maybe jump into the top three or four in the SEC? I think that's one of the things that was most frustrating, Jimmy, last year to Florida fans is that you have this historically good offense, but you have this historically bad defense, one of the worst in the history of the program. If you're even average, you probably have an even better year than what Florida did. So I'm looking for just let's get out there. Let's get lined up appropriately. Let's understand what what coverages we're in. Let's communicate well. And let's uh, let's give ourselves a chance, like we said, with, with being able to create some some pressure up front. So I, I do think they move up. I don't know if they're a top half of the league defense yet, but um, if they get some of that production on the D-line, they, they very well could be. Chris, I will say this. The Gators defense did lead the conference in shoe tosses. That way they, they, are, they are the undisputed champion of shoe tossing, in fact. <laughs> Tell me, uh, I, it was really something to watch how – this young man made the very most of his situation, but what was it like to see Kyle Trask do what he did in terms of running the Gator offense, and how difficult will he be to replace? Although I know that the, there are a lot of fans that can't wait to see what Emory Jones can do. 
Yeah, I think to take the orange and white glasses off, take the opposing glasses of whatever team you're a fan of off, I think we all appreciate somebody that does things the way that Kyle Trask did it, right? In this day and age, everybody wants to come in and play immediately, and if they don't, they're transferring elsewhere. Kyle Trask waited for his chance, even though it looked like he probably would never even get that opportunity with Felipe Franks ahead of him. He just said he wanted to be a Gator, and that's why he stayed around. Um, he, he was more than anything that's impressive to me is not only staying around but being prepared you know, when you get that opportunity, he stepped in and, and played well against Kentucky, and, and Florida's offense completely took off with the uh, the more pass-oriented offense that they ran with him at the quarterback spot. And I see a lot of that same sort of dynamic about Emory Jones. As you look at Emory, he was highly recruited, came in, had to wait his turn, didn't transfer, and learned from a, a really good uh, guy that uh, preparation in Kyle Trask. So I, I think he's poised to have a, a breakout year, and I think we can all cheer for guys in this day and age of college football that take that course and, and don't take the easy way out like a lot of guys do. We were talking about it day one, but, and of course, when it comes to representing your school at media days, it can be an honor that reflects so many different things, but um, were you surprised at all that we didn't see an offensive representative from the Gators this year, two members from the Gators defense, which you said is vital to whether or not Florida succeeds this year or not? Yeah, you know, I, I, I was surprised by that. I talked to Dan Mullen about it on Monday and asked him, all right, were you trying to send a message to these two guys about their role in terms of being leaders? Were we sending a message to the defense about them being the most important part of this team if we're going to get to where you want to be? Or is this more about um, you know, talking about the, the, uh, the two best guys on the team he said look I, I don't know how you decide to bring two players there's a lot of guys that are veterans that have been around and if I if I go offense do I have to choose uh, one of the running backs that have been around for a while so he said this was just the easier way to go about doing it although I, I do think there was probably some ulterior motives involved in, in sending a message to that side of the fo- football team I guess Chris Doring with the SEC Network Chris the uh, Houston Chronicle reporting that Texas and Oklahoma has reached out to the SEC about joining this league. Uh, do you put a lot of credence in that? I, the commissioner just walked by. I wish we would have grabbed him to, uh, <laughs> to see if that was true at all. I, here's the thing. You know, co- conversations are probably happening all the time. And as you know, Jimmy, we've, we've, we're in the midst of maybe the, the biggest confluence of, of big changes taking place all at the same mm-hmm. time. I think there's going to be some inevitable splits. There's going to be some inev- inevitable movement. Uh, with, with conference uh, uh, allegiances and all. So I, I just I, I imagine that there is an opportunity there. You know, I, I think about what that would mean in terms of getting into other parts. I know the SEC is already in Texas, but moving into Oklahoma with those two brands, it would be uh, a pretty remarkable coup for the SEC if that's true. So the three Tennessee players that transferred to Oklahoma may not have left the SEC That's right. They we'll come see. back in and, and still get a chance to play against this competition. I want to ask you about this. Uh, I think you could argue the Florida-Tennessee rivalry is not what it, it was because Tennessee hadn't upheld its end of that bargain. When you played at Florida, when you played at Steve Spurrier, what was he like the week of a Tennessee game? And was it any different than the week before he played Georgia or other well, rivals? Well, I, I think there were a few games that were special to him. Mm-hmm. Um, Georgia was one of those, and he would talk to us about his experiences as a player and what that meant to, to him with missing out on some near opportunities to win the SEC and, and, and what that rivalry meant at that point. Uh, you could sense a, a difference in his attitude that week. You could sense a, a difference in, in the Tennessee week as well. I mean, I, I know going home uh, to, to Tennessee was always special for him, and, and I think we all wanted to kind of uh, make sure that we helped 
make it a, a good homecoming for him. Uh, we, my, my, my two times up there, we went in 92, and Heath Schuler ran and threw the ball all over us in the pouring rain, and we got beat down that afternoon. And then we went back in 94 and played uh, the first game on, on natural grass after the artificial turf was pulled up, and we won 31 zip. So it was, uh, it was always a fun game. And, and Jimmy, I, I, I lament the fact that it's not what it used to be. I mean, that, that game in, in the early portion of the season in September usually not only decided who was going to win the East, but ultimately who would win the, the SEC uh, as a whole. And so I hope that, that Tennessee can get back there. I hope Florida can get back there again because it, the, the dynamic where the West is now the dominant division is, is so much different than, than what it was when I was there in the mid-'90s. Chris, when it comes to what is the, uh, the, the new landscape, name, image, likeness, if it was based on where you spent your off-campus time, what businesses would you have loved to, be, to have been able to represent while you were a Gator? Are there rules against uh, endorsing bars and alcohol? Because that, that's where I spent a lot of the time. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know if that would have been something that would have gone so over So it would be you well. for the Purple Porpoise, right? That, hey, that's right. The Porpoise, uh, TJ Morrissey's, uh, trying to think of some of the other places, Congo Craig's. I mean, it was, uh, it was a good time. We, we had some fun. And I, I, this time of year, I remember... When we were we were having off-season conditioning, there were times, and I probably shouldn't say this, but we we would we'd go out on Tuesday nights and uh, and be out you know all hours, come in for the 6:15 run. Now, you could do that when you're like 20 years old. Well, when you're 21 years old, yes. you could go out and do those things and Checked come in. Check off at the line of scrimmage. Yeah, exactly. Omaha. Let me clarify. Yeah. But you you can't you can't do those things when you're 48. Try to go out all night and then work out in the morning. It doesn't work the same way. Yeah, 100. percent That is for sure. <laughs> What do you think this means? Uh, I'm because I do think that that student athletes now have the most freedom they've had to move around with the one-time transfer being available. Uh, you've got the portal, which continues to spin quickly, and and now you do have name, image, likeness. What do you think this means um, in terms of the ever-changing landscape and appeal of college athletics, especially college football? You know, I was really nervous about the name, image, and likeness thing, and I guess in light, maybe I'm I'm being a little bit uh, early in saying this, but in light of what happened with Bryce Young and the reported million-dollar contract or whatever he's got with his endorsement deals. But I, I think the majority of players are not going to make that much money. And, and, and Jimmy, I, I have a business in Gainesville, a mortgage company that I own. I've been reached out to by representatives, seeing if I want to align with any of the Gator players. I just can't justify the return on the investment. And I think that's what's going to happen. The market always determines value. Do people, as much as you love your university, are you going to justify paying somebody to, to, to post social media uh, advertisements for you or, or, or have guys do endorsements on television. I just I don't think it's going to be as big a deal as maybe what we thought it would be after it all shakes out. Uh, there'll be a few people that make a lot of money like the Bryce Youngs, but I think all in all, I don't know that there's going to be as many athletes prospering with big money as, as maybe we all thought. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. In terms of the transfer portal, I, I go back to what the commissioner said earlier in the week. What, 1,600 guys had their name in the transfer portal? 11 of them still, 1,100 still remain right mm -hmm. now. It's a, uh, it, it reminds me a lot of the NFL draft, and every year there continues to be more people that put their name into the NFL draft that don't hear their name called, and it, it, it it's a, should be a cautionary tale, but that mm -hmm. number grows every year, unfortunately, and I think the, the, the allure of greener pastures is going to do the same thing in the transfer portal. Chris, you've been in a lot of locker rooms, whether it's in college or the NFL. Is there the potential for jealousy in the collegiate ranks 
if a quarterback's making nine hundred thousand dollars and the wide receiver's not making a penny. Well, Jimmy, there was um, some jealousy in NFL locker rooms with older, more mature guys. I can tell you, there were guys that were making in one week what I was making for the entire year, and uh, so there is a disparity of income there. It's going to happen in in college locker rooms inevitably. Uh, I do think there will be some some. In fighting at times, I don't know that it'll be a big enough thing to blow up the locker room, but uh, when when you see one guy making seven figures and, and the offensive line blocking for him is not making any money or they're doing endorsement deals for the local barbecue place to get trade, I don't. And I think it could create some, some bad feelings. We had a guy that called earlier, and I don't know the answer to this, and I'm not sure if you would, but this guy called and said, well, what if there's a player that's visiting a university, and while he's on the visit, a car dealership guy calls him and offers him a car or a restaurant offers him a deal. I got to think that's not legal, but I don't know I, on a recruiting visit. I don't know that anybody knows if that's legal or not. I don't know that they've they've really laid out the laws. And I think it could differ from state to state. As we talked to Commissioner yeah. Sankey, he, he said, you know, it's not fair for these recruits that are coming out of high school to have to go and search out every state individually of what's legal and what's not legal. I wish there was more guidance. The NCAA is kind of taking their hands off for fear of getting caught up in more lawsuits. But, you know, it's supposed to be a situation where it's not a recruiting enticement. But, you know, how do you differentiate between somebody that legitimately thinks a prospect that's a four- or five-star guy coming out could help their business versus that being something that they're trying to to get the guy to come to school there? I I just don't know how you differentiate those things. Chris, a couple of new head coaches in Eastern Division locales, Columbia, South Carolina, Knoxville, Tennessee. What do you think of the two hires? You know what? I was very apprehensive about what these two guys would would be like in our conference, and both of them, I think, hit the ball out of the park this week here. I thought Shane Beamer set the bar really high with his uh, authenticity and uh, his energy and excitement about the job he has, and I thought Josh Heupel did a lot of the same. I, I, I didn't necessarily think that that Josh was going to have the same kind of charisma coming in, but I was very impressed with his his uh, his presence in front of the podium and and being around. It was uh, seemed like he he definitely was able to give a little bit of the the feel of his appreciation and gratitude for the job he has. I'm I'm excited about both these guys. I, you're never I don't think there's a, many times where you're 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 down on on somebody at the time the press conference takes place, but I I, I think both of these schools did a nice job in hiring people that are good fits for their culture and where they are right now and what they need most. Chris, got one more for you. Does Alabama repeat in the SEC? Does Georgia unseat them? Do you like somebody else? How do you see the SEC? I, I feel like it's a, it's an easy answer for me to parrot pretty much what everybody else thinks. Have, have you done your ballot yet, Jimmy, for tomorrow? Uh, no, I, I did a picks earlier for Lindy's, which I work uh, with, but I've already picked Alabama. I haven't done mine yet, but I inevitably am going to have Alabama and, and Georgia in, in Atlanta this year. I just It's amazing to think about Alabama losing you know, one of their best quarterbacks in the history of the game, a Heisman Trophy receiver, a dynamic receiver and returner, an all-around running back that could do everything, a couple offensive linemen, some players from defense, and their offensive coordinator, and yet we, we think they just – plug the next guy in and don't miss a beat. That's a credit to what Nick Saban's been able to do and what he's created in terms of culture and expectation there. But yeah, it just seems a little unfair. But I, I just I don't see A&M getting over that hurdle. Um, Alabama, I think, is is that thorn in the side they can't quite shake yet. I'm not sure LSU is going to be able to make the 
uh, the the resurgence all the way back to where they were in 2019. So I, I I do see Alabama there, and I think I think this is Georgia's year. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see Georgia get over that Alabama hurdle that they've been struggling with in the uh, SEC championship this season. Chris, a pleasure to visit with you. Thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to uh, having you on. During the season, I always enjoy that, and thank you for uh, coming by. Always a pleasure. I appreciate you guys. Even though I'm a Gator, you know, let me come out and hang out with uh, with you folks in Tennessee. Next time I'm in Gainesville, I'll see you at the you Purple should. Porpoise. Well, you know, it's, it's no longer it's the social now, so oh, okay. we'll have to we'll, we'll take you out there and, and, and have you a good time in Gainesville. Okay. All right, Chris. Thank, thank you. you. Chris. Thanks, guys. Chris Doring, SEC Network.